Hello, everyone. Patrick Zor here, and uh, welcome to the uh, Quant Financial Engineering Podcast. Uh, I have with me uh, Sam Black. Um, he's a um, graduate of our program, and uh, he's going to introduce himself, and then he's going to talk to us about an interesting take he has in terms of physics, which he's familiar with, and quant finance. So, Sam, let, let's hear it. Hello, everyone. Uh, thank you for having me, Professor Zorro. Uh, my name is Sam Black. I just finished the financial engineering program at Lehigh University. Um, and I just want to talk a little bit about two of my degrees. I have a bachelor degree in physics, and I have a financial engineering degree that I just finished from Lehigh University. Um, so I wanted to sort of talk about some of the similarities between both disciplines. Um, so, you know, I studied physics as an undergrad, wasn't, you know, super knowledgeable of quantitative finance as an undergrad. But after graduating, I started to learn about it a little bit. Um, and I learned about, you know, people like Emmanuel Derman, who had started as a physicist and became a, you know, quantitative finance pioneer. And, you know, he, he has a whole book about this sort of subject comparing the two disciplines. So there's plenty more to read about. Um, but there's, you know, sort of a long history of, of people that started in physics going into quantitative finance. So I thought it was sort of a natural progression of my academic career. Um, so, you know, I, I knew about sort of people like that. And, and, and I also, you know, sort of on a, on a conceptual level, I liked, you know, the applied, applied mathematics of both disciplines and not only the mathematics, but that both physics and quantitative finance have sort of an external validation, right? In physics, we know Newtonian mechanics works because we went to the moon. You know, we know the theory of gravity is correct because we went to the moon. We know nuclear physics is correct because, you know, we developed the atomic bomb and, and nuclear energy. And, you know, we know quant finance works and doesn't work, whether it makes money or not, or whether it, you know, describes prices accurately. So I like that sort of, um, you know, there was beyond the internal consistency of the mathematics, there's sort of a external validation of what it, whether what you're working on and your theories actually make sense. Okay, so, but you mentioned a bunch of sciences, right, science, but wouldn't you say that quant finance and finance in general is a quasi-science? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't think, you know, I don't think there's any way to, you know, I, I guess to take a step back, all of sort of physics is our theories, right? So they're, they're sort of mathematical frameworks that correspond to experimental results. So, you know, the question of whether they are, whether the theories are exactly what's happening or whether they're just describing what's happening is sort of a philosophical question. Um, and, you know, to the extent that quantitative finance describes prices um, or other things, you know, it could sort of be considered a science, but, you know, it's not the same. It's not exactly the same. And, you know, we know that sometimes it works. And, you know, I think a good example, which maybe we'll talk about a little bit more, is, you know, the Black, the Black-Scholes model, which, you know, very famous model. You know, we know that works in a lot of situations, 
but doesn't work in sort of other more, you know, volatile or, you know, tail situations, which is sort of analogous to the difference between Newtonian mechanics, which works for, uh, you know, physics, which, which works for physical systems at, you know, non-relativistic uh, speeds and, and frames of reference, but doesn't work in, in other, in other, uh, in other situations, which is why we needed other types of modern physics. You know, that's sort of analogous to Black-Scholes working in some situations and not really being accurate in other situations. So your point is that somehow when you look at quant finance, you you should have a, maybe, especially now, I guess, with everything, with the data and everything that's happening with AI and everything else, that, that, that we, we need to be more cognizant of that This, Yeah, I this mean, it's always something important. Newtonian in, in this, something physical that should, we should be aware of as opposed to just purely financial? It's it's always important to 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 recognize the extent of of how accurate and how helpful your mathematical frameworks are, right? You have to it's always helpful to remember that, you know, they're they're sort of tools and descriptions of what's going on and, you know, you shouldn't shouldn't think of them as as the actual thing, they're just models of whatever the actual thing is, and they're almost always going to have some discrepancy between reality and, and your model. And it's always, you know, if you get too caught up in the model, it's, you know, people can lose money that way, especially in the financial, uh, you know, field. Um, so I think maybe I'll give a little bit of a historical Yeah, rundown. sure. Um, so that was sort of what I wanted to talk about. So, you know, I had mentioned Newtonian physics, which was, you know, created by Isaac Newton, and he created calculus and an incredible achievement in the 1600s. And, you know, that was sort of the dominant physics, along with, you know, other things, uh, you know, the uh, Maxwell's electromagnetism in the 1800s. And then in the year 1900, we have sort of our first similarity here. That's not the right word. But, you know, 1900 could be considered the birth of both modern physics and modern quantitative finance. So in 1900, Max Planck, who's considered the godfather of modern physics, comes up with the first paper that makes the postulation that energy is quantized, that, that, a, that certain physical objects cannot take on any energy level, but have to have discrete quantized multiples of, of a fundamental energy. And of course, that's where the word quantum physics comes from. A quantum is a discrete thing. Um, so in 1900, Max Planck comes up with, with that theory to describe um, black body radiation, which I, I won't get into. Um, and then at the same time in 1900, uh, Louis uh, Bachelier comes up with the first sort of rigorous mathematical formulation of stock prices which is using Brownian motion. So, you know, the same year, um, both in Europe, you know, you sort of have the birth of quantum modern physics and you have the birth of modern um, uh, quantitative finance. So, you know, it's interesting to think of both of them sort of starting at, at similar times. And then, you know, the next sort of similar, similarity happens in 1905. So 1905 is... Einstein's, uh, you know, miracle year. He publishes four papers that are all 
incredibly groundbreaking, um, you know, probably the most impressive academic intellectual year anybody has ever had. Uh, you know, he the first paper is on the photoelectric effect, basically saying that light is quantized. Um, it's not just a wave or it's not, you know, whatever people thought light was before. He says light is a quantized sort of particle. Um, special relativity, which we know is is uh, basically says that the speed of light is the constant of the universe and that space and time are relative to that. And then the most famous one, E equals MC squared paper, which describes the relation between the resting mass, uh, the resting energy of a physical object and its and its mass. So, you know, those were three papers he published all in one year. And then the fourth uh, was also Brownian motion. So this time Einstein uses Brownian motion to deduce both the existence of molecules and actually the size of the hydrogen mole molecule. Uh, so that's that's an you know that was extremely influential. We take for granted that the universe is made up of atoms now, but at that point it was still in doubt whether you know atoms were you know the theory of atoms that atoms made up the universe, and Einstein sort of proved it um, in 1905 using Brownian motion, the same you know mathematical technique that Bachelier used a few years before. So those you know that sort of uh, similarities there and. You know, I guess the question is, you know, why, why is it important? You know, what what does Einstein have to do with Bachelier? I think you know one of the important things is you know giving giving a sort of framework for the the random nature of um, you know uh, financial products. Um, you know, it sort of gives a context saying you know we can think of uh, you know a, a stock price as a random process, sort of as as a you know physical object being hit by random water molecules which is what einstein did so it gives us a sort of you know framework to think about it um and i'm going to get back to some other sort of uh ramifications in a few minutes but then you know after after einstein's papers for the you know for the rest of the 1920s and 30s you know is the heyday of quantum physics you have your schrodingers your heisenbergs um, you know, all of those famous scientists who who developed the quantum theory in the 1920s and 30s. In the 40s, you have people focused on, you know, nuclear energy and creating, uh, you know, atomic the atomic bomb. And then in the 50s and 60s, you have a focused on, on you know, uh, space and NASA and going to the moon. And so I think, you know, in addition to sort of the mathematical similarities, you can sort of put together a historical narrative where, you know, Bachelier publishes his paper in 1900, and then sort of everyone focuses on physics for the next 50, 60 years, and then almost like clockwork, right after, you know, NASA goes to the moon in the late 1960s, you have quant finance sort of come back with, you know, Black-Scholes and, and some other things in the early 1970s. So, it's funny because you can almost make a theory that like, you know, maybe people started to work on quantitative finance, then all of the people that maybe would have worked on quantitative finance worked on physics for 50 years. And then people that maybe would have worked on physics in the 1920s, 30s, 40s, started working on quantitative finance again in the, you know, 60s, 70s, 80s. So it's an interesting sort of, you know, historical uh, theory of, of, you know, maybe why quantitative finance didn't take off until the you know, late 60s, early 70s. 
Now, you mentioned Bachelier, obviously. I'm sure at some point in your discussion, you will mention Mendelbrot. Uh, because, I mean, Bachelier basically, yeah, he told us about that he was the first risk manager, I guess. Um, and, 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 and I see what you, I note what you're saying about um, math and, and physics, because quant finance, I mean, the, the most successful investor, Jim, uh, Jim Simons, is a mathematician to begin with, right? not a finance person. So I, I could see where you're going with this. Uh, the thing is, what, how can you take advantage of this? How can you, how can you make it beneficial for someone in quant finance to become more, um, especially with everything that's going on with ChatGPT? How do, how does it all fit together, and how can you become uh, that much more efficient, uh, much better at it? Do you need to understand the physics? I don't think so, but I think you know it's definitely helpful to sort of, you know, like I said before, understand the limits of the theories. And I think, you know, it's always helpful to have sort of a framework and, you know, an analogy to think about, you know, what are you actually doing when you're doing some of these, you know, quantitative finance things, because it's often, you know, becomes very abstract very quickly. You know, I think another thing, you know, I can say in my, you know, stochastic calculus class, we real, you know, I, I was able to see that, you know, the Black-Scholes equation is basically analogous to a to the heat equation from physics, right? So basically, you know, you could interpret Black-Scholes as, uh, you know, the price of an option sort of dissipating over time, analogous to, you know, if you have a heat source, the heat sort of dissipating through a room, um, you know, over space and and time. So I think, you know, for someone like me, having that sort of framework. To think about that way, I I think it's helpful versus just saying, you know, here's some uh, difficult looking equation and this is sort of how it works. When you think of when you think of, you know, an option price as, you know, sort of analogous to the heat equation, then it starts to make a little bit more sense. You understand, you know, it sort of, you know, diffuses and and, you know, and that sort of makes sense. Um, so I think having this sort of intellectual framework is is helpful. Um, and also, you know, of course. You know, be just just being able to do applied math and and having experience with that is always helpful um, to be able to do some of the to math and problem solving. Do you think uh, the same way that math basically needs to be dis discovered? I mean, it's there. You just said we have to find out. I'm thinking about this movie about the man that created infinity, about this Indian um, genius who basically had no uh, knowledge technically of, of, of math, but, but kept writing uh, algorithm all day long um, until he went to, to, to England and, and was told that, wow, I mean, you've discovered things that we haven't come up with yet. So meaning that without formal education, um, it is something that needs to be discovered. Mathematics, I'm, I'm thinking, do you think that, and I guess physics as well, right? It's, it's out there. We just have to to understand what's really going on. Is it the same thing with quantitative finance, meaning that we just haven't figured it out yet? There's a way to understand what's really going on as opposed to, you know, let's try to predict it. I mean, you know, philosophically, basically it's there already. 
right? The the, the market and 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 we kind of see it once in a while, right? When you look at the at the fluctuation in the the peak and the trot of the stock market, that every so many years we have a crash. So there's some sort of a pattern here that that's happening, regardless of what's going on in the world. Do you think that quant finance is waiting to be discovered? Or is it something that 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 we need to understand as we go along and and it's totally random? Yeah, I mean, I would I would definitely be on the it's totally random side. I mean, you know, I think I think you could ask that question about physics. You know, could we ever come up with sort of a unified theory of physics? I, I don't know. That's sort of beyond me. But, you know, I think finance and that's, you know, that's the number one difference between, you know, physics and finances is, you know, finances is a is a unknowable random thing you know you know the the physics is you know perhaps knowable but our best explanation right now is is random whereas you know you know finance and and public especially public markets you know there's just too many moving pieces that i think you know I, i'm obviously not an expert in this but in this but i think our sort of general conception now of you know it's a random process ultimately a random process and you know, our models could get better and better and use more data and use more sophisticated math. You know, I, I agree with that, but to get, you know, to a point where, you know, you can really predict the future, I don't think we'll ever get there. I mean, I think it's really an inherently random, uh, you know, system that, you know, we could get better and better at, but I don't think you'll ever, you know, reach a, reach a sort of better, overall framework of doing it um but it's interesting you know what you mentioned about discovering math and 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 things like that is you know that's exactly sort of the core of of the history of both physics and quantitative finance is you know the the math has to be you know sometimes the math is discovered at the same time and sometimes it's you know sort of before you know like like formal probability my understanding, again, this isn't my expertise, wasn't really discovered until the 20s and 30s. And, and, you know, that was sort of discovered sort of at the same time as some of the, you know, um, probabilistic quantum mechanics. And so, you know, there's this, there's this dynamic where the math has to be discovered while maybe before, maybe after there's sort of a real use of the math. Um, and, you know, the same thing in, in the quantitative finance, right? You know, Ito invented, or you know, invented, discovered, whatever word you want to do, is stochastic calculus in the 1940s. Uh, you know, you couldn't have sort of the Black-Scholes and and other models until stochastic calculus was sort of formalized. Um, and you know, so the math, you know, the relationship between the math and the application is really intertwined. And you know, it's a good question. You know, could there be of a mathematics that we can't even conceive of right now that someone invents discovers whatever word you want to use in 20 30 50 100 years and we can't even think about what that means that that i might agree with um you know that 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 our entire worldview is sort of downstream from whatever math whatever our most advanced mathematics is so what got you to Think to to think about this. What, what, what uh, got you to say, "Hey, uh, these two things are, are related enough for me to to pay attention"? Did, was it something that you worked on, or was something that's been developing in your mind for a while? Did you have some sort of a light bulb that goes off? 
How did you yeah. produce? Yeah, I mean, I think I think you know, learning about people who who sort of followed this path from physics to quantitative finance, um, and I think you know, one of the things I think is most interesting that we've we talked about a little bit is is really the difference between the two, right? You know, one of the more famous popular quantitative finance authors is you know Nassim Taleb, right? And the sort of central point of all of his books and and papers and whatever is that quantitative finance is not physics. We cannot know it, um, you know, perfectly. There's there's a level of randomness beyond you know the the probabilistic nature of of physics. And you know, I think that was really interesting to me. That you know, in a lot of ways, some of the methods might be similar, but. you know, finance is an actually even more difficult field than, than, you know, any sort of hard science, because there's no, there's no real answers, right? There's only sort of approximations, there's only sort of tools that work in certain situations. Um, so, you know, I think that was always interesting. And then, uh, you know, you know, and then part of it is, you know, sort of, as I started saying, you know, that physics, you know, sort of, You know, I'm not an expert at the sort of cutting edge of physics, but my understanding is that, you know, since the 50s, 60s, it's sort of been more difficult to, to sort of get to the cutting edge of physics. And so, you know, I started thinking about, you know, what's a what's a better intellectual way forward? Um, you know, I, I don't really see myself innovating at the forefront of, of our of modern physics, but, you know, maybe I could. you know, do something in, in the quantitative finance world that's, you know, not necessarily groundbreaking, but something because, um, you know, it's a little less discovered and, you know, undiscoverable as well. Well, I mean, it's a good thing for you because, uh, I mean, it, it's great. So if they'll need people like you to help them navigate the the investment spectrum. Otherwise, if it's all known, it's going to be easy to do. You want it to be complicated, I guess. So it's a good thing for you that no one knows, that you can't predict anything. And it's totally, like you said, random or uncertain. Yeah, absolutely. Great. Sam, thank you very much for your time. So wait, I, I'll just give I'll just give sort of my final point about Please, you go know, ahead. sort of why why it matters and you know the important the important thing. So you know to sort of bring it all together, and I I sort of mentioned sort of mentioned this with the math and everything, and and I think your point about you know could there be a future math that changes the way we think about this? I mean, I think that's exactly sort of where I was going with this. Is you know I think the the really important thing. The important relation is that, you know, f physics and specifically, you know, the probabilistic nature of quantum physics sort of creates the the world that we all live in intellectually. Right. We think about things, whether we may maybe know it or not, in terms of probability, in terms of randomness. And I think, you know, without the sort of um, structure that that sort of math and and intellectual structure that that you know the physics in the 20s 30s 40s gave us i don't know if if you would if if you would have been able to think of you know the stock market and prices and options prices as this sort of random system um that that was developed in the 60s and 70s till today so you know i think it's you know i think it's something that maybe we don't always think about but you know our sort of our conception of the world is sort of downstream of you know, maybe science, maybe math. Um, you know, I'm not sure if 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 you went back into the 17, 1800s and told someone, 
that, you know, the stock market is random. I don't know if they would think of it that way. They might think of it as, you know, there's, it's destined to go to some price and that that's how the world works is people have some destined trajectory. That's, you know, whatever. And so I think, you know, it's, it's interesting to think about how, you know, math and, and science sort of creates our worldview and affects, you know, things from finance to, you know, maybe the way we think about our daily lives. So that's sort of bringing it all together and what I think is interesting. Very nicely. I like that. I like that. Uh, well, thank you very much for your time. And then hopefully we see you back um, with some uh, more interesting uh, topics. Absolutely. Thank you for having me.